you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. The title of the sermon this morning is From Conflict to Silence. From Conflict to Silence. Have you ever found yourself at odds with somebody else and you were very passionate to prove them wrong? Only to find out that you didn't know all the facts and you stood dumbfounded in silence. I think we've all been there a time or two. We've been passionate about some cause that we believed in, only to realize that maybe we didn't do our research correctly. There are a lot of things today that a lot of politicians and politics that people are passionate about that is lacking in knowledge. There are many things that people believe that media tells them to believe that really are partial truths. And let me tell you, believer, regardless of which part of the spectrum you come from, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, or maybe you're that libertarian that avoids both categories, or you're one that says, I don't fit into any box, I'm my own free thinker, all of them are dangerous. All of them are dangerous because none of them hold a candle to what the Word of God says. They don't come close. And as we look at this morning, even in the work that is done for God's kingdom, there is always somebody that questions what's going on. And the reason why someone questions what's going on, especially what we see here in this text, is because they're uncomfortable with what occurred. Because it doesn't fit into their worldview, if you will. This morning, we're going to look at three things here in Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Number one, the contention, verses 1 through 3. Number two, number two verses 4 through 17, the defense, the defense. Number three, the conclusion, verse 18. So start off with number one, the contention. What's going on here? Well, verses 1 through 3, here's what it says. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. You see, the conversion of Cornelius was news that spread throughout Judea. Jewish Christians heard about this experience, and when Peter came back to Jerusalem, they wanted to talk to him about it. In fact, they were ready to confront him on eating with Cornelius and those around him, because he was a Gentile. To them, this was a betrayal of the Jewish faith. They did not particularly like that Peter was in fellowship with uncircumcised Gentiles, making it clear that Cornelius may have practiced a lot of what Judaism offered without taking the step of circumcision. Interesting to note here, though, is Peter had a similar perspective that the others in Jerusalem did. In fact, if you turn in your Bible back just a chapter in Acts 10, 28, listen to what it says. Acts 10, verse 28. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. 
Notice the difference between the first part where it says the apostles. Let's go back to chapter 12. The apostles and brethren and those of the circumcision. Many will argue that they're one group described, but then there's a segment of that group that's just argued for here in the text. It is as if Luke wanted to make a distinction for, so, us, so we would see some clarity here in the text that some may have been fine with what Peter had done, whereas others had a problem with it. Luke points out the fact that Peter is criticized for his eating with the Gentiles, particularly Cornelius and company. It is important to note, though, that Peter goes without hesitation when it's clear to him what that vision was about. What is interesting is that Peter is making sure he's obedient to what God has called him to by fellowshipping with those he is reaching with the gospel. Peter is not going out there just to hang out. That's a lot of Christians today. Well, I want to share the gospel, so I'm just going to chill and hang out. Well, if the gospel never came out of your mouth, you didn't do it for the right reason. I'm not saying you can't hang out with people, but don't call that a gospel ministry if you're not there with that intention. What's interesting is he is no longer, Peter is no longer showing partiality to the Gentiles and sharing the gospel, yet is getting criticized by his own for partaking with those outside the Jewish community. And remember, these are Jewish believers in Jesus, okay? Let's make sure we're making that distinction. Important points of application here that are missed by many in the church. Number one, and this is crucial and critical for us to get, the gospel is to go out without distinction to everyone. Let's make that clear, believer. The gospel message is to go out to everyone without distinction, without discrimination. The problem for much of the church is because the gospel has come to the Gentiles, we've assumed the gospel is only for the Gentiles now. You see how we've reversed it? Oh, the Jewish people, they didn't care about the Gentiles in the beginning. Hey, what are we doing? I think we've done the opposite of that. Many Christians today will criticize the Jews and their separation from Gentiles and reject their Messiah to the point of discriminating against the Jewish people. We have a nasty history of this. In fact, people like Martin Luther tried to reach the Jewish community originally only to then disdain them when they didn't respond in the way he wanted. When they didn't accept the message of the gospel, he rejected them, nullifying the whole point of the gospel. Listen to one of the things he wrote that Christians should do in dealing with the Jewish people. This is straight from Martin Luther's book. First, that their synagogues be burned down. Uh, This wasn't Hitler, by the way. This is Martin Luther. And that all who are able to toss in sulfur and pitch, it would be good if someone could also throw in some hellfire. That would demonstrate to God our serious resolve and be evidence to all the world that it was in ignorance that we tolerated such houses in which the Jews have reviled God, our dear Creator and Father, and His Son most shamefully up till now, but that we have now given them their due reward. Listen, believer, this is one of the things that we cannot mince words on. The gospel is to go out to everyone. There's no distinction that is to be made. 
And let me tell you right now, the Jew first priority is there. If we care only for the Gentiles, we are slashing what the gospel stands for. The whole reason we've been given the gospel of Jesus Christ is because God was gracious to us. You see, what's sad is so many Gentiles have become so proud to be saved in the church that they've forgotten that God had given the gospel to the Jew first. What is even more vile is the attack against the nation of Israel and declaring the promises made to them are now null and void and somehow applied to us distinctly. The whole reason we've been given the gospel is because God is gracious enough to reach us and provoking a jealousy that will bring back his people again. God has not cast away and forgot them. Don't you and I dare not say that we've replaced them. Listen to what Paul says about this in Romans chapter 11. In fact, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. Listen to what he says. For I do, and this is verses 25 through 32. Romans 11, 25-32. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. God's not done with Israel, believer. He's not. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God, this is important that you understand this verse, are irrevocable. What God promised, He's delivering on. He will never take back His promises, unlike you and me. Period. Even though so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, Gentiles... They also may obtain mercy. And here's what God says at the end here. For God committed them all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Believer, the gospel is to go out without distinction. Peter understood this fact. You and I need to understand this fact. Peter may have been on the other side of this paradigm, but you and I need to understand it just as well as he did. You have people that you don't want to reach with the gospel, but God calls you to still reach them. Unless you think it's just a racism thing, well, that nationality, whatever, I'm just going to avoid. You have people that may have exactly your skin tone that you don't want to reach. And God calls you to do so. God has extended mercy to both Jews and Gentiles, and so should we. Number two, what's another thing that is in this text that many people miss? Legalistic approaches to the gospel are dangerous. They're dangerous. What do I mean by that? One of the most dangerous things that happens in the church is a requirement to do something, dress a certain way, repeat a certain prayer in order to gain salvation. These Jewish believers found it insulting that Peter took the time to eat with these Gentiles and broke the law by partaking with them. Here are some ways legalism creeps into the gospel ministry today. Dress standards should match what we believe is God's dress standard. 
Requiring certain codes before someone can be reached with the gospel, believer, is very dangerous. A lot of churches do this. The dress code is never what qualifies a person for salvation. I've seen this practiced in youth groups throughout churches. Number two, the way someone speaks should not disqualify them from hearing the gospel. They may be crass, rude, curse, etc. They still need to hear the gospel. Just as the person that works the normal nine to five that you get along with just fine. God cleans that up when the gospel reaches them. Don't wait for that person to fit your paradigm of Christian first. Important to note, and I think this is something that you need to balance and I need to balance. When we have verses like, go and make disciples of all nations, we need to balance that with bad company corrupts good morals. A lot of Christians, they, they, they live on the fringes of these verses. There are those that want to reach everybody and then fall into the trap of the world. And then you have those that avoid everybody and reach no one. There has to be a balance, believer. If you have a weakness with alcohol, let me tell you, the bar is not the place to reach somebody with the gospel. Okay? Just throwing that out there. It's common sense. If you're an alcoholic, it's probably not going to be a good testimony for the gospel. And repent, by the way. If you have a weakness in some area that you're trying to reach others with, you might want to be careful. That's why there is a balance here. Here's another one. Others reaching people with the gospel that you are not, may not be comfortable with may be something that you yourself have to repent of. As always, there's always an importance of maintaining a good testimony. A lot of us get caught in that. Well, I want to be a good testimony, so that means I'm going to keep my mouth shut and never share the gospel with anybody. That's not the solution. It's never been the solution. For many, it's a cop-out to be lazy in their gospel witness. Your light, believer, needs to shine. Now, sometimes it might be silence. When everybody is laughing at a crude joke, you don't say anything. That may be the light that they need. But the gospel needs to come out of your mouth. God uses others to reach people that you may not have considered. And you are not to criticize the vessel he uses if they are being obedient to what he has called them to do. There's one thing I've found frequently... <laughs> as I've looked at the landscape of the church, and I've seen this in multiple churches, is a new believer comes to saving faith, and they're passionate to reach people with the gospel. And guess who puts out their fire? The learned stoic in the church that's been walking with God for 20, 30 years. Well, you don't know all the doctrines. You don't know anything. They know Jesus. They've trusted the gospel. They've believed it for themselves. And you know what? They can direct it to you if you need to explain the Trinity to them. This is a danger that we see in the church is that many fade in their passion to reach others for Christ as the, the longer they walk with Christ. Hey, there's a word for that. It's called backsliding. That none of us want to call out on ourselves. The reason you and I are not as passionate to reach people as we were when we first were saved is because we've lost our first love. Jesus is not as important as we say he is. As I've said before, and I'll say it again, the things that you're passionate about, the things that you enjoy in this life, you share with others. If you're an iPhone fanatic, you probably tell people you should get an iPhone. For Android, God help you. 
Point being, the things that you're passionate about, you're going to share with others. I'll probably get a message on that later. <laughs> on a separate note, this is not a reference to fellowship with another disciple that is not walking with God. If someone is not living their faith according to the mandates of Scripture, there's a different point of application here. It's important to not confuse the two, which many do. We're talking about reaching people with the gospel. And that's not the same category as a believer that's not walking with the Lord in the local church. There is a distinction there. So what happens next is interesting. As Peter is confronted here, he comes back with a defense. Number two, the defense, verses 4 through 17. A lot of this will be recaps. So we're not going to go through all of this. I know you've heard this the last couple of weeks, but we're going to read this text. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. And when I observed it, observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord. How he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us, we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Now look, we're not going to rehash everything here. We've covered this the past few weeks. But Peter sees a vision calling him to respond to a vision that was given to Cornelius sending for Peter. And God divinely orchestrates a meeting between the two. And Peter is sent messengers to come back and bring, bring him back to see Cornelius. Peter clearly obeys as soon as he puts the two together. In fact, Pat, Peter actually brought other Jewish believers with him to visit Cornelius. We actually find that back in chapter 10, verses 44 through 46. It says this, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. So there were some that saw this whole thing going on. And as many as came with Peter, because the, Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. See, in other words, Peter brought witnesses to testify to the fact that he was just doing what God had said. Peter simply states, if God gave them the same Holy Spirit, how could I stand against him on this? 
I needed to do what God had called me to do. Uh, His defense here is, I'm not here to dispute the dietary laws. In fact, I thought the same thing you did in partaking with the Gentiles originally. I thought it would somehow make me unclean, and God clearly revealed to me that that's not the case. God did not want me to make Cornelius a Jew by circumcision. He wanted me to come and share Christ. He was to baptize them in an identification with Christ, not circumcise them in identification with the Jewish people. That's important distinction here. When a person is sharing the gospel with others, there's always someone that wants to be the critic. Always. Always, always. They don't know what they're talking about. They didn't take evangelism 101, right? Those are the college folks. Been there, done that. I don't even know whether or not the person they reached is even a believer. Believer, that's not for you or me to decide. You obey what Scripture says. Here's the big one. Legalists are very proud of doing this one. I would have never done it that way. You know how many people have been saved in the most odd circumstances? The most awkward circumstances. Now, would you say, hey, methodically, that would probably be the way I would do it? No, absolutely not. But God works in mysterious ways, right? You've heard that quote. Legalists in the church think that if you sit down with an unbeliever and have a beer in your hand, you can't possibly be sharing the gospel with them. Yep, that's a lot of churches. You can't be possibly sharing the gospel with a beer in your hand. Remember, if you have a problem with alcohol, refer to the previous point mentioned. Probably not a good idea. By the way, believer, that is blasphemy to say things like that. Especially because many people that say that don't have any knowledge of church history when they make those statements. Any of you that read the Puritans, you'll know that their position is different than many legalists on that one. This is due to a lack of understanding of church history itself and Bible knowledge as well. You be obedient in sharing the gospel even if others don't agree. Peter was obedient and went with some of his company to reach Cornelius even though he knew some would still be opposed to what he was doing. If you reach one person in a family, you may reach the rest as well, believer. I don't know if you know that. Some of you are trying to reach so many people and you don't realize that there's a person right in front of you that God wants you to talk to, that he wants you to talk to to them about Jesus Christ, and you don't realize that behind them is a whole family that God wants to reach. And sadly, what happens to many of us, we want to reach everybody all at once and we dismiss everything. So why do we give up so easily, believer? Why is it that we give up so easily? when it comes to reaching others with the gospel. Could it be that we're afraid that we don't know everything? Could it be that we think, well, God, you can use them, not me. That person's gone to Bible college. They should know. Let me tell you right now, believer, I know we talked about this a few weeks ago, and mind you, I didn't like some of the names because I mispronounced one of them. Yeah, the guy that was, yeah, you know. 
Dorcas, Tabitha, she was a lady that just ministered to people making garments. She was not theologically literate like Paul. And you need to remember that, believer, when you, every time the enemy wants to convince you that you can't share the gospel with somebody else. Your good deeds that you're doing should shine a light to the gospel message. Because the whole point in Matthew is that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So be a gospel witness. So what's the end result here that we see in this text? Obviously, Peter comes back with a defense and says, look, I can't go against what God's done here. He gave them the same Holy Spirit we have. I can't go against that. Well, here's the conclusion. Number three, verse 18. When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. The end result was a moment of silence. Because in a sense, God had shut them up in discrimination and legalism. You ever been so passionate to confront somebody, you just had to let them know what you thought? You had to. And you believe with all your heart, you were right, they were wrong. And when you let them speak and they responded, you realized, wrong. And you just stood there in silence for a moment. Stephen Covey writes in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I remember a mini paradigm shift I experienced one Sunday morning on a subway in New York. People were sitting quietly some reading newspapers, some lost in thought, some resting with their eyes closed. It was a calm, peaceful scene. Then suddenly a man and his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing. And yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he had been so insensitive as to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was so easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, with what I felt was an unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, Oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think. And I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Can you imagine what I felt at that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly I saw things differently. And because I saw things differently, I thought differently. I felt differently. 
I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior. My heart was filled with a man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed freely. Your wife just died. Oh, I'm so sorry. Can you tell me about it? What can I do to help? Everything changed in an instant. Can you imagine what this moment must have felt like for these Jewish believers? As they're confronted with the reality themselves. In Peter's response, they had just been corrected in their self-righteous behavior. They didn't see the big picture. God made a way for Gentiles to partake in the gospel, and here they are getting picky with Peter and his eating with them. Church, we have so many that we come in contact with that are hopeless, and we must reach them. We don't need our politics to be known to them as much as Christ. They don't need our dress standards as much as they need Christ. He'll change them from the inside out. They don't need our religiosity. They need Christ. Believer, people don't need to know that we go to church. They need to know who it is that we worship and why. Verse 18 again. When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. So in conclusion, believer, where is God correcting you? Where is God correcting you? These Jewish believers were out to correct Peter and his approach to the Gentiles, but instead, they were the ones corrected. There are things we get into conflicts with others on because we have the same self-righteous or legalistic attitude as these men did. Maybe instead of criticizing others and how they're reaching others with the gospel, we keep our mouths closed if we're not reaching someone else with the gospel. Make sure we're doing it ourselves. Maybe instead of critiquing others' marriages, we see the problems in our own. Maybe instead of judging the world for all their sexual misconduct, we repent in the areas of sexual impropriety in our own homes. Maybe instead of desiring to have others like us and approve of us, we care more about being obedient to Christ as Peter did. Let's pray.